internet friends, and welcome to Love Hate Relationship, an opinionated podcast for opinionated people. I'm Andy Bowell. And I'm Alex Ruiz, and we're here to brighten your day, anger your soul, and tell you how to live your lives in that order. And Andy, I started this by telling you that you were going to have to come up with the douchebag buffer topic. So motherfucker, come up with the douchebag well, buffer luckily, topic. luckily, before you said that, we actually started this by just, you know, catching up, asking each other how our days were, and then somehow got talking about, like... F-list celebrities such as Andy Milanakis and Tom Green. And it, it got me thinking a little bit about like, like who's a celebrity you wish could get canceled? Well, that would presume that you think that any celebrities do get canceled. Because like, as far as ones who were actively like put through the ringer and then forced to properly give up their careers... I can count though I can count those on about one hand versus the number of people who have been quote unquote canceled online they all still have That's careers fair. they're all still work like Scarlett Johansson is still doing shit y'all like it doesn't matter how many times we complain about her playing a different race or a trans person Scarlett Johansson's been canceled she's still working like she's not really canceled what the fuck does canceled mean that said, who would we cancel? If canceling were real, <laughs> whose career would we end? I mean, if we, like, could. All I'm saying is Andy Dick probably should be in prison. I'm trying to think of somebody who, like, all the truly heinous celebrities, it seems, are also uh, in political power at the moment. So that feels like low hanging fruit. <laughs> Oh god. Oh, um, oh, oh, okay, I mean, okay. Here okay. On this very show, I once railed against Johnny Depp for what at the time seemed very clear cut that he was being domestic abusive towards uh Amber Heard. And since then uh, for a long time, and in fact, we've never just quite gotten around to issuing some sort of formal comment on that. I think because the the actual like civil suit is happening as we speak, but it has now become blatantly clear that not only did Johnny Depp never actually like do anything to Amber Heard, but Amber Heard is a abusive piece of crap who speaking of canceling at the very least, like was removed from the Aquaman franchise and has gotten, you know, kind of a little bit canceled, but she's still an incredibly attractive white woman in Hollywood. So her star will probably never really go out. So I would cancel fully Amber Heard. I mean, I'm not, I, I I'm certainly not upset about that. Now that does bring up the question, Andrew, if you're going to cancel people because they were domestic abusers, you realize that that means you should cancel Bill Murray and Fred Armisen and Christian Slater and Sean Connery. Well, <laughs> while I uh, while I didn't Frank Sinatra posthumously, yeah. Miles Davis posthumously, there are not good people. In in the worlds and spheres of influence and fame. While folks. I didn't know like, about Bill Murray and Fred Armisen, and and really, they, them and Miles Davis might be the only two who I would actually mourn out of that list. 
Um, I do stand by my comment that domestic abuse and being a, well, especially in, in Amber Heard's case, it's domestic abuse piled on with being a manipulative um, person who tried to spin the whole thing that she was the victim. That's the icing on the cake. But no, I remember, was it... I don't know why I'm asking like you would know, but I'm pretty sure it was Ray Lewis of the Baltimore Ravens um, beat his wife on camera in the elevator of a hotel lobby. And it was like a thing. It was like a problem and it didn't actually do anything to damage his career. And in fact, when he won the Super Bowl in his final like season, it was just celebrated about how great Ray Lewis is. And if I'm totally off the mark, then I'm sorry. I'm the one of the two of us who knows more about football listeners. <laughs> no, I mean, in fairness, that's, you know, that's a well-established issue in several professional sports leagues and uh, football in particular with a long history of just like letting good players get away with shit and that starts in like elementary school yeah when you've got your good ass football players who you let get away with shit because at the very least like if you're a regular person and you god this is turning into a cheery one um if if you're if you're like a non-celebrity and you are abusive um, statistically nothing will happen to you, but if something does happen to you, you'll, you'll go to jail. But if you're, unless you're a cop, unless you're a cop indeed. Um, but if you're a famous person or a cop, um, there, there really doesn't seem to be any consequence other than you give an amount of money that is inconsequential to you because you are a millionaire to your, partner or whoever and that sucks i don't know yeah i mean floyd mayweather i just googled this has a net worth of at least 560 million uh some invest uh some investment bloggers actually put it closer to between 700 million and 1 billion and he beats the shit out of women like still Because he can. All this to say, um, I am all for canceling domestic abusers. Uh, Amber Heard, canceler. Uh, I am all for canceling everybody, uh, everyone else that we just listed. I have been on record several times on this podcast as far as like, you know, you make your own decisions about the art that you choose to consume. So while I will eternally criticize Bill Murray... I can find ways to appreciate certain certain art that he does or is involved in. Um, fuck Floyd Mayweather. I don't really give a shit about him. Um, and I I wouldn't even if he wasn't a domestic abuser, but the fact that he's a domestic abuser that's worth over a half a billion dollars sits poorly in my craw. And... Uh, Cancel culture isn't real, you guys. Like, seriously, look at everything it took just to get Bill Cosby in prison. Harvey Weinstein is still rich as fuck. Like, cancel culture isn't real. Anyone telling you that it's real, 
lives there lives too much of their life on the internet. Alex, these people are almost all still working. Did you see that Roger Stone is out of prison? I'm sorry, I uh, I blacked out with rage. Could you say that again? Uh, Roger Stone has been taken out of prison and put in house arrest, which, for those of you paying attention, yes. is a mansion because of COVID. So, speaking yeah. of... Like, it's... <sighs> Cancel culture's not a thing. Cancel culture's not a thing. Kanye West just said a bunch of shit about Harriet Tubman at time of recording. Listen... I've been shitting on Kanye West for a very long time. When I found out that he shat on Harriet Tubman, I was like, is this what will finally get me to stop listening to power? Is this what it will take for my beautiful, dark, twisted fantasy to get off of my Spotify? I haven't tested the waters yet, but maybe. I'm a motherfucking monster! I hate a lot of Kanye albums, but he has like four or five really great ones. And I just gotta, maybe I just gotta steal those. I don't know. I think you could take Kanye's bits of Monster out and I would still perfectly enjoy that song. Because really, that song is Nicki Minaj and then everyone else. I mean, that's fair. Um... I don't know. I just... So not speaking of Nicki Minaj, you're in love-hate relationship. Uh, thank you for bearing <laughs> with us. I think that's going to be my new thing. Not uh, speaking of blank. Um, but yeah, this is love-hate relationship. Uh, in case this is your first uh, foray, thank you for skipping the first 50 episodes, I guess. Um, every episode, one yeah. of us talks about something that we love. The other talks about something that we hate. And that is not the segment you just listened to. And then we take your relationship questions and give our perfectly unqualified advice. And this go around, I have the love. You do. And I'm excited for this one, Andy. I'm not even going to front. This is a big, giant, huge one that I'm going to try to like skirt around the edges of and make my point. But I'm going to start by uh, right, taking your shtick and asking you a question. Alex, mm -hmm. is there a specific cultural mythology that you would call your favorite? So, for example, you know, Greek mythology, Norse mythology, Aztec mythology, Babylonian mythology, that that sort of thing. Sure, yeah. Um, I... I don't know about right now, um, as far as mythologies are concerned. Um, I've definitely heard a number of, like, folk stories that I found particularly engaging or interesting. Um, growing up, I had a particular obsession with Greek mythology specifically. Um, you know, and, and I think I think all of us read that uh, Edith Hamilton uh, Greek mythology book. Probably, yeah. Uh, that, yeah, yeah, that it was just, like, a really... Not completely homogenized view of, you know, Greek mythology, but fairly homogenized view of Greek mythology. Um, but I don't know. There was something that always appealed to me, um, both about the original Greek mythology, but also, like, adaptations of it. Like, and I'm not even just talking about, like, the Disney Hercules movie, uh, although that was fun in its it. own right. Like, <laughs> like... Uh, 
Well, I mean, I, like, I'm not even specifically just talking about that. Like, I remember what I remember watching fucking like Young Hercules on Fox Kids, uh, which was a stupid fun show. Um, they they really like to center on the Hercules things. Even now, like, I um, a web comic that I follow religiously is called Lore Olympus. Highly recommend this. You can just Google it. Uh, if you have a Webtoons account or you have a Webtoons app, you can read it there. But, like, there'll be screenshots of it all over the internet. But it's, like, this retelling of the Hades and Persephone myth. But, like, weirdly totally redone. And, like, it's clearly just drawing inspirations from the original mythology. But, you know, it it reimagines the characters in kind of a much more contemporary setting. And holy shit, is it ever wonderful but yeah I, i'm probably gonna go with your greek mythologies um at least as a kid that was the one that always fascinated me the most i feel like it's a boring answer because like it's the one that's actually taught in schools it's the one that's probably utilized the most for pop culture but it's also the one that i just engaged with the most um yeah sure. I, I mean i think egyptian mythology was like second tier on that like it was it was the silver medal for that and then like way down there is norse mythology even though it's weird as fuck <laughs> um and of course nobody really th no, nobody really talks to like most of the eastern religions but like those are there too but yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna go i think with that's, I think that's great i don't think it's boring at all you know i i suspected that my answer would have been the same certainly in grade school like you mentioned like that was the one that was taught i i also watched all of the disneyfied versions of hercules as well as one of the very first computer games i ever had was like the disney hercules computer game where you had to build the labyrinth to like trap the minotaur and all kinds of shit so so i i, I totally get it um I, I think Norse mythology is my silver medal, um, personally, but you know, to each their own and, and thank you. That was a lovely answer. Just in case there's anybody who, who, you know, needs a, a definition of it to cover our base, uh, to cover our bases, you know, myth is defined as a folklore genre consisting of narratives or stories with no factual basis that play a fundamental role in a society, such as foundational tales or origin myths. The main characters of these myths are usually gods, demigods, or supernatural humans. Um, and there is a difference between non-factual stories with human beings like kings and leaders and shit. And, and those are usually called legends. So it's like the legend of King Arthur, not the myth of King Arthur. King Arthur is not myth uh, a mythological character per se. Sure. And really, you know, I, I just said it ever since grade school, I have been, I feel like more than the average person fascinated with myth that probably has more to do with me leaning into English than math or science, you know, as a kid, but the fascination doesn't come from the stories themselves as much as I've always thought it was just so interesting that different cultures construct their own specific mythologies throughout all of human history. And I will say, I, I do love mm. some of the stories too, especially the weird ass Norse ones. Thor and Loki um, have camped out for the night 
in a most peculiar house. And it's not until morning they realize that they were in a giant's mitten. Sure. No, that makes total sense. I think I'm remembering, um, so I'm very specifically recalling a world history class I took in high school um, with an absolutely marvelous teacher. Like, I had a surprisingly great world history teacher uh, my freshman year of high school. And I remember covering um, some early world cultures very early on. Uh, I remember this because this was the year of the four hurricanes in Florida. Ah. So we had like a month off of school. And this was the teacher who like was like, okay, you have a month off of school. I'm going to assign you an ungodly amount of homework so that you don't fall behind. But like it stuck with me. Like, sure, I was mad about it at the time, but also like I learned a lot. Um and I'm thinking very specifically about, like, what little is known of certain early world um, myths or religions. Um, and, I'm, and, and I remember thinking about this and just like, damn, okay, we know very little, but we know, for instance, like, Zoroastrianism, uh, which is the first organized religion that we have any documentation of. Like they were, a, 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 they were a monotheistic religion, and also they basically just had a hell. Like there wasn't really a heaven, <laughs> there wasn't really a purgatory. It was basically just like you die and you're miserable for all of eternity. And I remember, lis, lis, I remember reading that, just being like, "Damn!" That, and, and I might, it might, I might have it wrong. It might not be Zoroastrianism. I apologize to any Zoroastrians who are out there. Uh, you are out there because that was the religion Freddie Mercury right. was raised in. But yeah, I just remember reading that and just being like, what is what does it say about this culture that at death they just have a hell versus say like Judaism where there isn't really a heaven or a hell at the end of it. You just kind of are after death. Like it's not really that great. It's not really that bad. <laughs> I think and, and you know, we're going to touch we're, we're going to expand on this, but like without scientific basis, because, you know, we've been, we've been looking for answers since the first cave tribes huddled together and tried to explain what that big giant thing <coughs> that was hard to kill was. We've had myths. Mm -hmm. Human beings have been, you know, an inquisitive, intelligent species, but we didn't have the knowledge to put these things together. And so you look all over the world and, and that's where you get stuff of like, where does the sun go at night? Oh, well, somebody in the sky literally drags it down every day and then puts it back up. And why does he do it? I don't know, but put out a bowl of fruit. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Yeah. All these explanations all these all these trying to figure out the the grand designs of the cosmos and or or even just like have a, a a drunken party and and talk about all these things like it it shows that there's something baked into our dna that like we assign hierarchy to things that we have no proof of. Like, you know, I'm thinking about how in, in most pantheons, there is a head God, you know, your Zeus, your Odin, your creator. And just 
the the idea of like where does fire come from oh fire comes from apollo because blah, 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 blah. oh where does volcanoes come from volcanoes come from vulcan like every every little thing we just need we needed an answer for and we didn't have the ability to do a geothermic analysis of the planet and come up with like what we would now today refer to as you know a scientific explanation but yet we still sure. needed to know there's just something about that 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 really gets me sure like this human need to have an explanation of some kind and if the explanation is that dude over there is really confident in that story he's telling like if that's all you have to go off of that dude hasn't led you astray yet why the hell not right you know you mentioned um we're assuming zoeastrianism uh having a a defined hell and i think about how okay so Norse mythology, you have Valhalla or you have like hell itself. Um, Greek mythology, you have the underworld. I'm going to be pulling from those two a lot just because those are the ones I know. Yeah, the ones you know the most about. about, But just trying to like, okay, where do we go when we're not in our bodies anymore? We need to figure it out. We need to go into that. And so I want to highlight, and I have been highlighting the notion of comparative mythology, which is just that, Mm -hmm. like, like this thing we're talking about that shows that there are parallels for, for cultures around the world that existed at different times and, you know, never interacted in any way, shape or form having lots of similar stories You know, the idea of Mm. man being created from clay that shows up in Hinduism, Judaism, uh, Christianity, Um, you know, the acquisition of fire, Mm. a great flood, sacrificing something for human life. To pull from Norse mythology, the idea that just the biggest giant ever, Ymir, basically gave up its life to create the world. And like, I'm not a smart enough guy to really go into this more than to highlight it and talk about how fascinating it is. But like, how did peoples across the world come up with a similar concept of, oh, well, fire was a thing that we had to steal. Fire was a thing that like, was not just was was kept away from us and you know um who is it it's not pericles um prometheus prometheus of course yeah you know prometheus had to go out and find it or you know we had to steal it from loki while loki was busy being a wolf somehow Mm. it's 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 so it, it goes back to that cave. It goes back to that cave that the first like people gathered in and, and told the story. And there's just some sort of like mental coding in our DNA, or at least that's what I hypothesize about. And sure. it's so cool to me. Sure. Okay. So l- let me pose this to you from a comparative mythology standpoint. Um, I'm going to throw at you um, the question of morality 
is something that seems to come up with a lot of these different mythologies. So, for example, uh, with the Egyptians, with, with, with the Egyptian religion, uh, a very well-known myth there is that after death, you know, your soul, your, your soul um, is judged. Your right. heart is placed on a scale with a feather. And the heaviness of your heart, the heaviness of the wrongdoing and evil that you have done, if your heart is heavy with wrongdoing, it will outweigh the feather. And at that point, you go to the shitty afterlife. But if your heart is light from not wrongdoing, from doing good things, um, maybe, uh, then it will be equal or uh, it, it will be equal to the feather. So that is the Egyptian mythology. And then compare that to um, a mythology like um, Norse mythology, where there are there is still this separation of afterlives. But if I understand my Norse mythology correctly, the value is not in the uh, amount of good or bad that you have done during your life it is in the manner of your death am i right. right about that yes um in order to get to valhalla you have to die a warrior's death valhalla is for you know the 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 vikings and the the people who you know not only honored the gods but honored mostly odin who was a blood god and who was a war god um by you know dying in act of battle okay. in some great so, way. So what does that say about what the Egyptian culture values in its religious practitioners versus what the Norse culture values in its religious practitioners? Yeah, I, I see the lines you're drawing and, and I think you're absolutely right because, you know, the the ancient Norse and, and Scandinavian people were you know, conquerors, you know, for, for as far back as the Romans were in England, you had Norse Vikings raiding the coastline and, you know, going out and setting forth and conquering because that was what the more nomadic societies valued. Egypt, um, you know, was a lot more refined and certainly, you know, any, any country you can name that's been around for long enough has, you know, gone out and conquered somebody else or been conquered by somebody else. But Egypt specifically wasn't that same, like, war-crazed society. Uh, sure. And I would argue it was a much larger society. Mm, like, just, by, mm. just in terms of population density. Yeah. When you have a large society that is built on the back of cooperative living agriculture building the building of cities um the building of large cooperative structures i'd argue your populace uh should be more inclined towards valuing doing good for one another over what a much smaller probably more tribal probably less focused on large multiple hundreds of thousands of people all living in one space kind of communities would value 
Which is not to say that the Egyptians did not value a warrior culture and that the Norse did not value, um, you know, community building and doing right by one another. Right. But they value them differently and weigh them out differently. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, in a more like magnified view, it, it just became, you know, what did what did the, the wise men, what did the soothsayers, what did the prophets, what did the mages of this society, along with the leaders, you know, preach on the values of and, and create these stories and, and talk about it? You know, ancient Aztec mythology was basically completely built around sacrifice. And Norse mythology isn't. You know, stories of sacrifice appear everywhere, but, you know, it's only in select cultures in history that you can look around and see that, like, the ritualistic killings of our own peoples is a core tenement of this thing we believe i mean the abrahamic religions all practiced animal slaughter that is true animal slaughter at one point in time yeah but even just those those i I love comparing the similarities i love comparing the differences even the similar even the difference of what what kind of blood are we spilling are we spilling equal blood are we taking like this brave warrior and, and cutting out his heart so that he can go be the bodyguard of, you know, our gods, or is it, we're going to, you know, sacrifice a white lamb because it, it signifies the purity of our faith. And we're, we're going to do that. Well, yeah. And plus, you know, the lamb you were going to eat, you're eating right. less because you're sacrificing it to whatever beings you are worshiping. Yeah. Yeah. Can I ask you um, a question here while we're while we're on this topic? Sure. What about like lesser folklore? Like instead of god worship or deity worship, what about stories of like more low level folklore? Like where does that land for you? So I think about trying to determine the difference between fable and mythology. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if there really is one, and that speaks to your point. Like, if we can agree that the basis of mythology is explanation, then fables and parables and and stories that have a a very concrete lesson in mind, even if it comes up as a abstract one, fall under the same category, I think. Okay, L- let me let me ask you this. Um, have you ever heard of La Llorona? Yes. Okay. La Llorona scared the shit out of me as a small child. Sure. Heaven will not take her. She was damned sure <laughs> my and my parents were never like Lyarona people like they were never like oh if you don't behave Lyarona is gonna come for you for those of you who don't know Lyarona is um a latin american folktale uh, the long and short of it is it's about a woman who um kind of goes mad drowns her children and then um supernaturally wanders the earth 
weeping constantly. La Llorona means the crying woman. Uh, she's She weeps and she takes away bad children. Like children who misbehave, she snatches them away out of their beds. And there are certain shitty parents who will use this as a way to try and convince, try and scare their children into behaving. Uh, my parents never did that with me. My parents never like, like I heard that story, but it was always like a, oh yeah, this is an old story we grew up with. Like it wasn't a like, <laughs> ooh, this is, but like that story scared the shit out of me as a small child. But I Absolutely. think about that. But I think about that. And at the end of the day, the whole point of that is let me terrify my kids so that they'll shut the fuck up. Which is a terrible lesson. Like, truly, truly, it's a terrible lesson. Teaches your children to fear and not respect or not care or not listen. Like, fear is not the same thing. <laughs> not going to talk about parenting styles again on this podcast. Alex, but, Alex your hatred of authority is showing. <laughs> uh, but, but to your point, I just thought of the top of my head three other examples of that. You know, you've got Bloody Mary. You've got uh, Krampus and you, I, I don't remember the name, but there is like, I, I want to say this Icelandic folktale, which is another Christmas thing, but it's not Krampus. And it's, if you're like a bad young kid, this woman will come and literally eat you in the night. So kind of like, you know, in this, an Icelandic La Llorona. Um, oh, sure. I mean, even look at fucking Santa Claus. What is Santa Claus if not, like, mythology to get children to behave, but, like, nicer? Right. Because the worst Santa's going to do is give you a lump of coal. Yeah. And and you brought it up. There, there, There is a purpose. Now, whether or not it is a good purpose and whether or not it's what you should do for your kids, there is a purpose to these tales, which is to scare the shit out of them so that they behave you. Yeah. But you can't so, just say like behave or I'm going to do something awful to you. So you need to basically, you know, it's this it's this verbal scapegoat. It's this 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 you know, fantastical figurehead that you can tie something's emotional response to. Yeah. Admittedly, I, I I don't know if it's my hatred of authority or my <laughs> my lack Fear. of or no or my lack of spiritual or supernatural belief, but you know there is there is the part of me that sit here that sits here and goes yeah you know you can try and scare your chi- your kid into behaving or you could you know be a fucking parent you louse bullshit motherfuckers but well. Like, I'm going to tie everything you just said and lead into my next talking point very nicely. Uh, You know, the fifth um, scare your kids into behaving thing I can think of is the Christian hell. You know, most mythologies are quote unquote dead. You know, nobody Mm -hmm. is out there practicing Greek mythological religion. Um, The people who are praying to Odin at least started by doing so ironically. Um, But I think there are a few key ways that myth and mythology persist in modern times. And one of those ways that I knew you would at least allude to, to somebody who is an atheist, maybe not necessarily somebody who's agnostic, but to somebody who doesn't believe in Christianity, you know, the Bible Mm -hmm. is a mythological text for our purposes. 
I mean, I, I, I don't think it is offense. I, I don't say this with judgment. I don't say this with condescension. But that is how I view it. Yeah. I view it as a book of mythology. Like, it's... It is supposedly, you know, a series of supernatural stories. It contains, you know, dictums that are supposedly um, given to humanity through a supernatural deity um, as a person who does not believe in those things anymore. I view it as a book of mythology. Yeah, so, you know, that and... and you know, I I really don't want to put my foot in ma- in my mouth and and talk about. Well, no, 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 because because where I'm going is I don't want to incorrectly speak about Hinduism. But sure. Hinduism is you know still a remarkably prevalent religion in the world. I what I'm unsure about is if there is supposed to be a like delineation between the ancient Hindu gods, Ganesh and, and Kali and Shiva and modern day Hinduism. I just, I straight up don't know if there is a line and if there is where it is. So I, I don't want to talk about that too much, but you know, Hinduism, Shintoism, you know, people are out there praying to Thor. Like these, mm. these things have persisted in, in ways that like predate Christianity. Sure. Um, so that, that's one way that that myth is still around. And the other way, and, and talking about this uh, is kind of the the thought that made me want to talk about this concept and, and bring this to the table. I absolutely believe that modern pop culture has become the new font of mythology. And I'm especially mm-hmm. looking at comic books. Because maybe there isn't so much of a explanation standpoint, but you know, comic books are these unending tales of greatness and virtue uh, with beings with powers far greater than mortal men. And I'm going to go ahead and count Batman on that, even though he's very clearly a mortal man. Mm. Um, And that's not even getting into the fact that like, you know, Neil Gaiman, Jason Aaron, like it's, 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 it's perfectly acceptable for a fiction writer just to dip into mythology period you know look at thor the comic book Mm. character not the god that people are praying to sure but even beyond comic books i would argue that we've constructed these figures such as like you know james bond peter pan as these cultural icons that we talk about and, and tell stories about and, you know, maybe sometimes there is supposed to be some sort of message in there. And I mm-hmm. absolutely think that is modern myth-making. Mm-hmm. So I think I think the spot for me that's... I, I, I absolutely agree that contemporary pop culture, I think, has taken the place of mythology for a lot of people. I don't necessarily know if I consider it modern mythology because I feel like most for I, I think it comes down to the philosophical question of whether or not um, you f- you have to believe in a myth for it to be meaningful or if a myth is made more meaningful by believing in it. You know, um, 
I can read a Bible and there are and there are points in a Bible, there are stories in a Bible that I can take meaning from. I can take lessons from. There's a, there's a bunch of stuff I won't. Sure. I'm, I'm not I'm not shy about that. But there are legitimately things that I have read in a Bible where I've gone, that's just a good ethical lesson. I'm completely here for that. I have done the exact same thing with a Batman comic. Yeah. 100%. Like, I have... It's okay. I I knew I was going to bring this up when you told me that you were going to talk about mythology and specifically going to make this point. But um, I think very specifically of Christopher Hitchens, um, the new atheist writer, who what all all caveats. He was a terrible person, awful human being. Um, said awful, misogynistic, offensive, weird, weird shit. I still love a lot of the things he said. Sorry. Uh, problematic favorite. Something that I al- that always stuck with me that he talked about was he said that um, when, when he talked about the idea of like a world that has moved past religion, he specifically talked about how he would encounter the argument that without religion, we would have no way to instruct anyone in morality and ethics. And his argument was always that's blatantly untrue because a every one of those religious texts if they have any ethical moral value should have that value whether you believe in them or not case in point if you've ever taken a lesson from reading a greek myth you don't have to believe in the greek myth in order to take a lesson from it and b we still have the writings of philosophers of great thinkers, of lecturers, and of literature to give us those examples of great ethics. So he was basically arguing you could get a lesson from Charles Dickens as easily as you can get a lesson from Jesus. The logic at the end of the day is the same. I'm not sure if I'm clear on the point, but you, you tell me that and I go... Yes, given the right circumstances, uh, you could create Dickensian mythology. You know what? You probably could. <laughs> so, so here, yeah. oh, go ahead. But no, I, I just mean, I say all of this to point out, like, for me, I'm comfortable with saying that pop culture has taken the place of mythology, at least in the way that we view mythology in current culture. The problem with the way that we view mythology in current culture is that not all of us agree about mythology. To to a Christian, my calling Christianity and the Bible a myth can sound offensive. To an Odinist, my calling those stories of Norse mythology a myth could be considered offensive. But it's not offensive when I call a Greek myth a myth. At the end of the day, I believe in one less God than everyone else does. Um, sure. But if it's uh, your God, it's offensive if it's, if it's a myth. So that's why I'm a little hesitant. I'm a little sketchy about calling it the new mythology. But I think it has definitely taken the place of that mythology because, I mean, let's be fair. There's a lot of people who subscribe to certain religious doctrines, certain what I would consider mythologies, 
who read that book and read it very badly and don't understand a lot of what they're reading. So in a way, it has kind of taken the space of our ethical instruction. Whether we intended it to or not is, is a different conversation. But I think at the very least, those stories have taken the place of mythology if they are not outright the new mythology. Yeah, That was my final point. I, I hear you, and, and I want to get on to your topic, but just two things that both occurred to me as we were talking that reinforced my point. Have you heard of Mr. Burns' A Post-Electric Play? No. So really quickly, that's a play that was uh, written in 2012, and the whole premise of the play is it is the Cape Fear episode of The Simpsons recited at three different points after an apocalyptic world cataclysm event. The first time is one week after. And so you have people who are pretty much as normal as you and I recounting the story of the Simpsons episode to, you know, just chat and make themselves feel better. The second time it's seven years after that and it's grown and become a little like it, it, there's a wrongness to it. it. It becomes a little different. And then the final reading is supposed to be 75 years after the apocalypse and the Cape fear episode of the Simpsons has become to the society, a true mythological parable, like sideshow Bob is an evil underworld God figure kind of thing. And I mm. think, you know, it, it it wouldn't be the Simpsons though. It, it might be the Simpsons, but you know, it could just as easily be talking about, you know, uh, Captain America versus Iron Man and the two, you know, Kings of the gods facing off against each other. I think that humanity will always drum up these figures to be larger than life and to talk about. Um, and then my very final point is Jediism is a fully recognized religion. Um, <sighs> I know this because on the campus of the uh, University of Central Florida, there is a guy who preaches the force. I love <laughs> Star Wars. <laughs> I have spent more time analyzing Star Wars than anything, and that includes the Bible. And I went to Sunday school, kids. I grew up Catholic. Um, I'm so sorry, Mother. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> That just makes me respect religion even less. Andy, God damn it. <laughs> well, now that I've gotten you into the proper headspace, let's get into the hate. Oh, motherfucker. Okay, cool. Thank you for that. Um, Jesus Christ. I'm going to try and keep this a little bit on the shorter side, especially because I think this hate um, kind of has one basic point to it that I'm going to try and get to fairly quickly, but we can talk. Especially because I don't know, actually know how much you know about this particular topic. But as ever, I like to start with a question. So while this topic is um, going to be a little bit windy, I think we will get somewhere meaningful. My question to you, dear boy, if, is if you can think of an artist in any format, be they musician, actor, director, comedian, writer, whoever, uh, who you believe is important and foundational to their art form, maybe even is good, but that you personally just plain dislike. Not that you, not that you like, aren't, feel kind of eh about it. You actively do not like their work, but you can sure. acknowledge that they are foundational and important. 
keeping in line with the theme of your subject, you know, I, I thought pretty hard about this. I hate George Clooney, but I don't know if I consider him foundational. That arrogant, overrated, memo-writing bastard! He's not even an actor! He just does the same cheesy move every time. Um, for a Do you long... think he's good? I think he's good, but I still hate him. Okay. Um, Can and... I ask why yeah. or why? Or... No, say more. I'm interrupting you. Well, well, so, you know, I was chewing on that and I was like, eh, maybe George Clooney. Uh, you know, for a long time, I had a stick in my ass about Steven Spielberg. Um, oh, I hate the Rolling Stones. Oh, dear. Like, I will turn off the Rolling Stones if I have the option. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. You know, I was half expecting you to say the Beatles, um, which is why, I, which is actually exactly the reason I said actively dislike. <laughs> Because I figured you were probably indifferent towards the Beatles, but like I wanted someone you actively did not like. So I was expecting you to say Beatles. I did not expect Rolling Stones. Why do you hate the Rolling Stones, I, Andy? I, I can say that they are utterly foundational. Keith Richards is an amazing guitarist. I... I like paint it black and that's about as much as I can like give. I, I, I hate Mick Jagger. I, I, for somebody who loves David Bowie as much as I do, I have this weird, like I, I have never understood the appeal to him, Mick Jagger. And, you know, for a long time I I was, purely ambivalent about the Beatles. I was like, Oh yeah. Okay. Whatever the Beatles, everyone says they're the greatest. They can't be the greatest. And then finally, like I watched across the universe and then listened to a Beatles greatest hits and was like, okay, no, I'm, I'm being a fucking teenager. The Beatles are amazing. I, I don't think the Rolling Stones are particularly interesting. Like, like satisfaction bores me. What's the, it's just a shout away. Uh, what's that song called? Um, Oh God. Whoa, children. It's just a shout away. It's just as, Oh God. Why don't I remember this? Like I like, should, <laughs> it's going to bother me. Right. Give me shelter. God Give damn. Give me shelter. Sure. Of course. It's in every Scorsese movie. Jesus. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> um yeah, I mean I I like um I like paint it black and that's about it and and otherwise I just I think the Rolling Stones are completely overrated. Wow. Okay. The only the only thing is like I'm sitting here being like okay, they were one of the first massive rock bands and so they were able to use the fact that they came before everyone else to cover up the fact that they are by comparison so much less interesting to me than the who or the Beatles or almost anybody. Mm. I will totally admit of like the British invasion bands. Like I, I love the Beatles more than I like I in the Beatles versus stones. I always pick Beatles. Um, I like, I like the who better than the stones. Um, but I do like the stones. Sure. Um, and, and, and I agree with you. Very important, very influential, fits this perfectly. I appreciate you saying that. I'm not mad at you for disliking them. 
Um, I will always say the Rolling Stones have always been a band I liked, but I constantly encounter people who are like, the Rolling Stones are the greatest band that has ever been. They are my favorite band of all time. I have listened to everything they have, and I adore them. Like, I have met a number of people. I have been in bands with people who have had that opinion, and I've always been like, cool. I... I, I can I can name you five Rolling Stones albums that I love. I'm not you, person. Um, yeah. But yeah, the, so I, I appreciate that. Thank you. And and the fact that it was a music topic or the fact that it was a music subject helps me get into this really really nicely. Sure. So for all of you out there, you have read the title. You know that my hate topic, which for which I have a very particular take. Uh, on this episode is Van Halen. So, for some basic background, well, well, actually, Andy, let me ask you. You don't need to give me any details or anything. How familiar are you with the band Van Halen? <laughs> I can uh, I can name probably five times as many Van Halen songs I like as Rolling Stone songs. Um, no, I mean I I. I enjoy Van Halen. I I've never thought that they were the greatest. Uh, they've never been my favorite, but I certainly uh, will happily, you know, listen to some Van Halen, and and that's about where I land on them. Okay, I would one hundred percent listen to the Rolling Stones any day of the week over Van Halen. But Fair. Um, for some basic background. Uh, formed in 1972 by guitarist Eddie Van Halen and his brother, drummer Alex Van Halen, uh, and later vocalist David Lee Roth and bassist Michael Anthony, uh, Van Halen is one of the best-selling, most popular, and I have no trouble admitting this, most influential hard rock bands in American music history. Their first two albums, Van Halen 1 and 2, have been credited as reestablishing the hard rock genre and popularizing metal music for the entire mainstream American audience. Uh, if you're if you're uh, at all thinking like anyone who's a little bit older than we are, uh, or is just a classic rock fan and thinks back to like the hair metal era, um, the when metal ruled the world era, uh, MTV, you know your Motley Crues, your Poisons, your Cinderellas, that Sunset Strip era of hard rock music a lot of people credit van halen with kind of setting the template for that for really inventing that california kind of poppier glammier metal sound and if you turn on classic rock radio anywhere in this country at any time and you just listen to it for a couple of hours you are almost guaranteed to hear at least one Van Halen song, usually one of the mid 80s staples like Jump, Hot for Teacher, or what is actually my favorite of their songs, a song that I actually do genuinely like, Panama. I think Panama slaps. Panama is a great song. But I hate most of Van Halen's catalog. Do you hate Hot um, for Teacher? I do not like Hot for Teacher. I think Hot for Teacher okay. is trash. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> Hot for Teacher is a shit song. <laughs> Hot for Teacher was an excuse for Alex to just like play around on the toms for a little while and like David Lee Roth to just yell 
puns about teachers and his penis. That song sucks shit. <laughs> Please go on. <laughs> um, after 1985, the band replaced Roth with established singer guitarist Sammy Hagar, um, who had actually had a really like solid career up to that point on his own as a solo artist. Uh, and they did so to much controversy. Many fans deride the Hagar years, and uh, some of the additional lineup changes that followed have not really helped. Uh, at one point, they had Gary Sharon from Extreme. Uh, any of you who are familiar with the song More Than Words, the dude who sang that song, they had him up there for, I think, one album. And, and um, real quick, uh, listening to the Sharon version of Jump is an experience because I have done that. <laughs> Black. Um you know, and they've and Sharon left. Hagar came back for a while. Roth came back for I think a tour or something or tour or two. Um, you know, and then like they've I think the current lineup it actually has Roth. Um, they've replaced Michael Anthony, who was arguably the best background singer in all of rock and roll. Many people have attested to this, uh, and they've replaced him with uh, I think Eddie Van Halen's son Wolfgang. Yes, like, that sounds right. Yeah. Um, the lineup's not that important beyond just knowing, you know, the, the there were the Roth years and the Hagar years. Um, I actually like the correction. I actually dislike the Hagar years less than I dislike the Roth years. But that is the, the correct point. take. Yeah. Um, so my main issue with them, uh, and this this is gonna sound real weird at first because it's gonna sound like I'm really complimentary, but I promise I have a point. <laughs> Eddie Van Halen, individually, as a guitar player, is arguably the most important and influential guitarist since Chuck Berry. His experimentation, his creative use of effects, uh, his sheer like versatility and virtuosity with the electric guitar has been cited by some of my favorite players, people like Dimebag Daryl Abbott from Pantera and Zach Wilde from uh, playing with Ozzy Osbourne and Black Label Society, all the way to John fucking Mayer. All of them have described Eddie Van Halen as like life-changing, essential to their development as players. You know, he played on Michael Jackson's Beat It. Like that solo, that is yeah. Eddie Van Halen. Yep. yep. Like, you don't and and that riff that is Eddie Van Halen like Michael Jackson or rather let's be honest Quincy Jones called up Eddie Van Halen and was like do you want to be on the next Michael Jackson single and Eddie Van Halen was like yes absolutely and came in the studio and laid that like that is such an important song to me <laughs> like and Eddie Van Halen played on that and played on a couple of Michael Jackson songs like I acknowledge all of this Eddie Van Halen is an incredible guitarist in and of himself. I, I like, like I enjoy eruption even like he's, he is really, really good as a guitarist and important and essential. Like music that the music that followed Van Halen's like heyday is not the same without Van Halen. Like he was important and I am glad that he was there. However, while Eddie is an incredible player, David Lee Roth is a dog shit singer. 
Dog shit. Absolutely horrible. A lot of character in his voice, a lot of personality, but like no range. He's just an awful singer. I hear he was a really good like live show performer. Like I've never seen Van Halen in concert. I heard he was really good in concert, but like just a terrible vocalist. And Sammy Hagar, who's actually a really good singer, by the time they got him in, the like arena rock sound that they had been cultivating for like 13 years at that point, like that was so deeply set in and so crappy that like he never really got to u- they never really got to utilize how good of a singer he was. Like what's the best Sammy Hagar Van Halen song right now? Higher? I think Hire's probably the best one. Yeah. Which, like, okay, Hire's not the worst song. I I don't necessarily turn Hire off when it's on the radio. Just like I don't necessarily turn off Panama when it's on the radio. But, like, there's not a whole lot else to really speak to there. You know, their songs were always very boring melodically. Their lyrics were terribly uninspired. Their rhythm section is tight, like Alex Van Halen and Michael Anthony, like they're tight together, but they're pretty uninteresting. They don't tend to do very like, granted, when Eddie Van Halen is your guitarist, you probably don't want to be too terribly busy. You want to highlight the guitar playing, but like they don't do much that's that interesting. And I have honestly never understood the hype behind Van Halen other than Eddie's guitar playing. I feel like I've been talking for a long time, Andy. I want to let you speak. <laughs> I appreciate that. I, you know, I'm I'm sitting here going, huh? How do I backtrack the thing I shat on Rolling Stones for and say it in a complimentary way for Van Halen? Because you're absolutely right. I'm sitting there being like, girl, you really got it now. You got me so I don't know what I'm doing. Girl, you really uh, got me now. You got me so to I be can't fair see at night. <laughs> To be fair, that it's a cover of a Kinks song. Oh, is it? Shit. Okay. Yeah. Bad example. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So if you want to yell at Ray Davies, that's fucking. Give me something to write on. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, I, trying to admit that Van Halen lyrically totally isn't very interesting. And. If we're just measuring it by by complexity of lyrics, then, you know, yeah, pleased to meet you. Hope you guess my name. Sympathy for the Devil is is much uh, more complex and, and interesting. Um, but Van Halen just, I think it's the charisma. And again, I'm I'm eating crow on Rolling Stones because that thing that I don't fucking get about Mick Jagger, uh, you know thousands upon thousands of women and probably equally uh, an amount of men will tell me he's one of the most charismatic sons of bitches who ever strutted across the stage. Um, I think about Spinal Tap and Spinal Tap made fun of, you know, the hair metal genre as a whole, but in my brain, they were always specifically like Van Halen, only funny. <laughs> like That's interesting. In, in my heart, the 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 dude, the lead singer of Spinal Tap, was always supposed to be David Lee Roth. It's such a fine line between stupid and, and clever. Yeah, it's just clever, like a little turnabout. Yeah. Um, interesting. There's just something fucking fun about him. Like like jump is an 
awesome song that I will absolutely jump around the house for. Um, you know, you, I, I showed my hand hot for teachers, probably my favorite song just because it's so stupid and ridiculous and great. Um, yeah, like, like I said, they're not my favorite. It, 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 it Van Halen's not a hill I'm going to die on, but to answer your question, like they were fun as hell and, and restarted the arena metal scene. Sure. I mean, like when I think about what Van Halen offered at a time period when, um, when let's be honest, a lot of the market was, um, saturated by Brits you know, this was this was Led Zeppelin at the peak of their powers, who, by mm. the way, are who I think of during most of Spinal Tap. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, you know, and you had American rock bands at that time. Aerosmith was doing a bunch of shit. Boston was doing a bunch of shit. Um, but Van Halen, you know, v- Van Halen was a theater band that got to play arenas. Like, I've heard that Van Halen's live show was legitimately incredible. I heard that David Lee Roth is one of the most, like... Eddie Trunk, who is a, who is a music journalist that I legitimately respect. Pro- possibly the best journalist of hard rock and heavy metal music alive. Um, he does a lot of shit for VH1. He's got a serious XM show. He, he, he's great. Read and listen to anything you can with Eddie Trunk if you are at all interested in good takes about hard rock music. He has called David Lee Roth arguably the greatest frontman to ever live. And I always made a point to stay there. Like, okay, there is a difference between a great frontman and a great singer. Sure. Like... Robert Plant of Led Zeppelin was both a great frontman and a great singer. Ozzy Osbourne is a great frontman, not always the best singer, although I would always argue a very like emotive singer, a very powerful singer, a very interesting singer. Uh, Freddie Mercury, I would argue, it was a great frontman and a great singer. Yes. Bruce Dickinson, great frontman, great singer. Sure. I'm trying to think of a great singer who's not really a great frontman. I'd say Patrick Stump. Patrick Stump is a great singer. Not the best frontman. Sure. Uh, Honestly, like, eh, he's, he's, he's okay. Like, Patrick's like, yo, I got a soul voice. And they're like, wait, how do you have a soul voice? And he's like, yo, watch this. And they're like, oh my God, that sounds like soul. Not that great as a front man. Not that great as a like up in your face, like incredible Tyler from All American Rejects. Great singer. I don't know his last name. Shit human being. Is he? Oh, he's a garbage human being. Oh, we'll have to talk later. But yeah, like, yeah, but great singer. Not a great front man. Apparently a terrible human being. Um, so yeah, I think about these things and I go, all right, David Lee Roth, probably a very gifted front man, but I'm not going to Van Halen concerts. I'm hearing the songs on the radio and he's a shit singer. 
I just could never get over that, you know? Sure, sure. The, you know, the, the one redeeming factor for Van Halen was always Eddie is playing. Here's the thing, though. Even then, there are better players. Better certainly took... Better players definitely took what he established and did a whole lot more with it, you know? Eddie was the first to popularize, like, tapping on a guitar. That, that's actually an old technique from, like, flamenco guitar like it's been done but eddie was the first person to like who was really famous who had a high platform and who did it with an electric guitar to really great effects kirk hammett from metallica does it with way more rhythm way tighter with a lot more skill and if you don't believe me listen to the guitar solo from one and then fuck yourself <laughs> um <laughs> Eddie did this incredible work with overdrive and flanger effects, really, really doing some fascinating stuff. Tom Morello took those same exact pedals, those same tools, and turned his guitar into a fucking DJ's turntable on Rage Against the Machine records. You know, Eddie could play a million notes a second. He was super fast and versatile. Steve Vai does that so well and so often. It's actually a meme that people say he has no vibe or groove. Uh, he just plays a million notes a second. Huh. Everything that Eddie Van Halen does, there are other people who do it so much better. Yes, he was the first to kind of do that. You know, and and I sit here, I mentioned Chuck Berry earlier. Um, and And I think Chuck Berry was an incredibly important guitar player. But I don't really love his songs. You know, at least not as much as I love the songs of a few of his contemporaries. I will put on a Little Richard song anytime before I put on a Chuck Berry song. Because frankly, I just think they're more fun. Yeah, sure. But but Chuck Berry was an... I, like, I'm a guitar player. I love Chuck Berry's guitar playing. And and the thing is, I I'm not interested in making anyone feel bad for liking Van Halen. You know, and, and I don't want to undercut how important Eddie Van Halen's guitar playing is. And I don't want anyone to feel shitty for liking Van Halen. I don't want you to feel shitty for liking Van Halen. I don't want to talk you out of liking Van Halen. I maybe want to talk you into liking the Rolling Stones, but I don't want to talk <laughs> you out of liking Van Halen. I just feel the need to take like a good 20 to 30 minutes of you, your time, our dear listeners time and tell you. But I fucking hate Van Halen, dude. Like the band sucks and and like they should be relegated to the dustbins of history. You know? Have okay, um this is my last point and it wasn't in the notes although I meant to put it in there. Sure. Have you ever heard of a song called Rocket 88? Oh god, you know, I think I have, but I couldn't tell you who who uh made it. So it was Jackie Brenston and the Delta Cats. Song came out in 1951. Um, it's a fun song. It's it's a fun like 1950s kind of boppy kind of early rock and roll song. Um, fairly forgettable. You don't need to know anything about Jackie Brenston and the Delta Cats. Um, here's the thing about Rocket 88. It is most notable from the fact that it was the first so it, it's largely credited as the first song to have electric guitar distortion on it 
that was a studio accident. That was because the guitarist there, um, who I think was Ike Turner, actually, had a broken amp. So because of his mm -hmm. broken amp, he had to turn up the volume. It was overdriven. It was distorted. It was really shitty sounding. But, like, guitarists from a, all around that era were like, they heard Rocket 88 and they were like, I need my guitar to sound like that. How do I make my guitar sound like that? And that's when you started getting people experimenting with like changing the tubes on their amplifiers or slashing the fronts of their speakers so that they could recreate the distorted guitar sound. Um, you know, that, that was an accident. That song is fun. Not that great. Not that memorable. Really, it's one notable thing is that it was the first song, probably, to feature distorted electric guitar. I want Van Halen to be treated like Rocket 88 by Jackie Brenston and the Delta Cats. I want people to go, yes, that there, that was the first band to use... Uh, to, to, to popularize the use of, you know, tapping electric guitar and flanger effects. And, 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 and here's the song called Eruption that does these cool dive bombs uh, with a Floyd Rose tremolo bar uh, on the guitar. And like, this is, this is very innovative from the perspective of being a guitar player. But I want, like, I want people to listen to Van Halen 1 and 2 and treat it as a historical document. Treat those albums as a historical document. And then go, yeah, what was the name of that fucking band again? <laughs> um, uh, who did Flanger effects for the first time? Was it Jackie Brinston and the Delta Cats? No, it was Van Halen. Man, you fucking nerd. Why do you know that? This is a bad. That's what I. That, that's how I want Van Halen to be treated from Fair. now on. So, so you you want uh you know right next to Striper, who were famously the Christian hair metal band, in the who threw Bibles at concerts in, in, instead of like other shit that other bands were throwing. We're we're putting Van Halen in the annals of history next to Striper and Uriah Heep. Got it. <laughs> I actually respect Uriah Heep, thank you, but... <laughs> well, fair enough. But yes, that is where I think Van Halen belongs. And that is the note I would like to end on. Listen to Rocket 88, don't listen to Van Halen, and uh, tweet Andy your favorite Rolling Stones songs. Oh, thanks. Mine is shattered. You know, I, I gotta say, I, I actually fucking love Sympathy for the Devil, but in my brain, that's a Vietnam War song that just is not attained to any band. <laughs> oh, Andrew. Moving on. Uh, you know, we, we we're managing to pull this into a long one, but I, our question is so damn fun. Uh, I, I pulled one uh, off of Reddit, but not from our usual well, which is relationships.txt. Uh, this week, the question comes from, am I the asshole? And I'd like to read it for you now. Okay. Who is the bigger asshole for evicting a tenant who repeatedly brings non-vegetarian foods into a vegetarian-only apartment in violation of the lease? 
I rent out a studio in the basement of my house. It is very explicitly stated in the lease agreement that tenants are not allowed to bring any non-vegetarian foods onto the premises. About a week ago, I saw what was clearly a meat package inside of a grocery bag that the tenant was unloading from her car. When I confronted her and pointed out the lease agreement, she gave me an extremely bewildered look. She claimed ignorance, which I told her was no excuse whatsoever since she willingly signed the agreement. I pulled the agreement out of my phone and showed her the clause. I told her to immediately either discard the package along with any other non-vegetarian foods inside the bag of the outdoor trash bin or take it off of the premises. I also told her to do the same for the apartment within three days, after which I will conduct an inspection. She screamed at me and told me to go to hell, refusing to discard the package that she was carrying. When I conducted the, the inspection, I very predictably found several meat packages and a carton of chicken broth inside of her refrigerator. I documented what I saw and gave her an official 15-day notice to quit, after which I will begin the eviction process if she does not comply. When I handed it to her, she went hysterical and started crying. She's claiming that I'm violating her human rights and that she'll starve to death. Am I the asshole? So, who's a landlord out of pop culture that we can assign to this question giver? You know, it wasn't that long ago that we did, um, I think, Jack Tripper from Three's <laughs> Company. Uh, and I was like, I wish you could do Mr. Hurley, but I feel like that doesn't, that you know, that isn't quite right. Uh, I'm hmm. shitty landlords. God, I deal with landlords on a daily basis. Motherfucker. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm coming up with the same thing. All, all that's running through my mind is the fact that it turns out Hannibal Burris is a landlord and was like, you know, extremely vocal about how he wanted to make sure his people paid rent. But we're not going to, you know, name the person Hannibal Burris. Um uh, let me see. I literally just Googled famous TV landlords, Melrose Place, Mr. Hennels you you watched Friends. a lot of Friends, right? Yeah. Remember the landlord from Friends who was always kind of an asshole? Yeah, Mr. Heckles. I think Mr. Heckles. All right, Mr. Heckles it is. And this works because um, the people in Friends were also not good and totally would have done this in an episode. Uh, here's the problem. One of you is an asshole and the other of you is an idiot. So, uh, okay. Mr. Heckles, here we go. Do you, should I start since you read the yeah, question? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Um, Mr. Heckles. No, Mr. Heckles, no one is making any noise up here. You're disturbing my oboe practice. You don't play the oboe. I could play the oboe. I'm going to be upfront with you. Yes, you are an asshole. Your tenant is stupid, but you are an asshole. Um, you know, we, we normally look at these through the lens of like, how do we repair a relationship or how do we deal with a relationship? I'm going to look at this particular question um, since, it, since, since it's not really asking about repairing the relationship. Um, but it's more you asking for an assessment of your behavior here. 
Here are the ways in which you are an asshole. First of all, you are a landlord. So you're probably an asshole. <laughs> yes. That's not like, it, it's kind of like, here's the thing. It's kind of like being a cop. Can you, in theory, maybe be a good one of those things? All right. You know what? I'll be generous and say, sure, you can theoretically be a good person and be a landlord. I don't believe that the system really is in your favor there. If you're going to be a landlord, you generally speaking have to be shitty. The system only works that way. That's what happens when you own homes, other people's homes, and you dole them out to them for monthly rent. We can get into conversations of private property another day, but like, yes, in that way, you are probably the asshole. The other way that you are definitely the asshole is um, you are using the law as a cover for ethically moronic behavior. I'm going to say, for instance, your state, federal, and local laws may not prohibit you from putting a vegetarian food clause in your in in your lease. I myself am a vegetarian. I understand this. I I I have I have sympathies with this. Um, maybe it's not illegal. It's unethical because it is you dictating private behavior to a person who is renting your space in order to create a home. By the way, it's also potentially discriminatory against certain cultures. Um, you uh, might be a backdoor racist because of this particular clause. Um, I'm going to assume you're white. So yeah, you're probably a backdoor racist as well. In that way, you are the asshole. And finally, you issued a 15-day notice to quit, and very clearly, your tenant has no idea what the fuck is going on. Now, granted, she's not very smart. She clearly did not read her lease. I read the lease before I moved into my place. There were things in there that annoyed me. My wife isn't supposed to have candles in our apartment. <laughs> That's a very stupid rule. That is a very stupid... I get why it's there, because this is an apartment complex where people sometimes have pets and probably leave those pets unattended, so that's probably a fire hazard. I get it. I understand why you have that rule. It is a stupid rule. But I knew that rule was there because I read the lease. Your idiot tenant didn't read her lease. Your idiot tenant feels blindsided by the knowledge of what you put in your lease because you're a sociopath, Mr. Heckles. You're a monster <laughs> and an asshole. You have every right to do what you're doing. It is legally allowable. There is no legal argument against what you're doing. And frankly, if you're a landlord who takes your tenant to court over this, you're probably going to win. Not because, you know, you have any great ethical standing for what you put in your lease, but because you're a landlord and they're going to side with you anyway because you're an authority figure. You're also evicting a person during a pandemic, I'm pretty sure. But, you know, you're an asshole, so you don't care. Um... You're, I'm sorry, you're an asshole who is evicting an idiot. Ergo, yes, you are the asshole. Your tenant is not an asshole. 
They're not very smart, or at the very least, they're not very careful. Uh, and they're clearly panicking because they're having their housing taken away from them during a fucking pandemic. <laughs> but yes, you are the asshole. Andy, any thoughts? I, I laugh because I, upon a second thought, I should have realized, given your profession, how passionate you might have gotten about this. I, I actually thought that we would have a harder time um determining who the asshole was uh because i i kind of tried to bend my brain in a shape where the uh landlord asking the question where mr heckles is not an asshole i'm trying to think okay i don't think there are any medical maladies that would like require such strict vegetarianism i know certainly there are some cultural or religious beliefs uh, most of which would mean this person is not white um, I was totally on the tenant side until they said go to hell and like blatantly just refused to throw out any of their, um, their non-vegetarian food items. But Mr. Heckles is absolutely an asshole for the reasons you've listed. Um, I, I was trying to figure out how let's, let's be honest. It would be Chandler. Um, I, I was trying to think about how Chandler <laughs> was also an asshole here. Um, I think if nothing else, you, you make a good point about how the, the person is panicking. Chandler's panicking. Devil's advocate, Chandler could have thrown all his meat away and been more careful, like you said, about how to get that in there's there's nothing saying that chandler can't go out and you know have a burger um out in their car or something if they if they really wanted to the part where you know and, and chandler's a girl in this case but you know the part where chandler's claiming yeah, sure. that mr heckles is violating her human rights and that she'll starve to death that is certainly hysterical and a little nonsensical um but, you know, I, I think you, uh, I, I think I agree with you. Mr. Heckles is the asshole. Chandler's just an idiot. Yeah. Like, honestly, what, what Chandler should do is take all of their meat, put it in, like, a cooler for the day yeah. that, like, Mr. Heckles was coming to, like, inspect and, like, hide that somewhere. Right. Like, maybe put it in the trunk of your car with a shit ton of ice and just, like, hide it for the day and then just bring it back in and then be a little more like look my wife totally has candles in our apartment you think that when they come to change the air filter we don't just hide all the candles you lie to your landlord this is what you do as a this is your this is your responsibility as an american <laughs> you lie to your landlord just like you don't talk to cops and just like you don't call cops and just like I'm trying to think of another like really patriotic, wonderful thing. Um, just like you punch Nazis. Amen. Those are the four tenets of Americanism. You don't call the cops. You stay silent with the cops. You punch Nazis and you hide shit and lie to you. Hide shit from and lie to your landlord. You do this every day. You do this for shit you shouldn't even need to. <laughs> so Chandler is not doing her civic duty 
because she should be lying to you. She should be hiding her meat and then bringing it back in and making it again. And then when you come in and you're like, what is this? What is this meat? Be like, oh, um, that right there, that's, uh, that's Tofurky. Like Chandler, these aren't your human rights. You're just not very savvy. And Mr. Heckles, you are an asshole. And if you want to find out if you're an asshole, <laughs> maybe that's what we need to do to get people to start writing in again. Um, if, if you want to find out you're an <laughs> asshole or if you happen to have a relationship question in any way, shape or form, feel free to send those into love, hate relationship podcast at gmail.com where we promise we'll read them. Yeah, absolutely. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or even TuneIn Radio. Hey, Mom. Um, sorry, I said ass- sorry I said asshole so many times. I love you. Um, uh, we would also love it. Absolutely adore it. Like, we, we, we would be fetching right there uh, if you reviewed us on any or all of those. Uh, and you can tweet us at LHRpod. That's L-H-R-P-O-D with your questions. And follow us there to keep up with new episodes. That's right. Uh, you know, I mentioned George Clooney. There is one George Clooney movie I unabashedly enjoy, and that is From Dusk Till Dawn, which at some indeterminate point in the future, I will watch on my other podcast, Cult Fiction. Um, you can find that, uh, which is done with the incomparable Stephanie Johnson, on all of the same platforms Alex listed, or you can find me, Andy Boel, on Twitter at JoeVocop2113. And I like George Clooney and the Rolling Stones. And I'm at A underscore X underscore R-U-I-Z on both Twitter, Instagram, uh, and let's just go ahead and say TikTok and pretend that I didn't say both at the beginning of this sentence. Um, (laughs) All of you, thanks for listening, as always. And please, tell your enemies. 